0: Company Watch,
1: Financial Analytics. Hello, and welcome to the Company Watch Coronavirus podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, CEO of Company Watch, and I'm joined by Nick Hood, financial and commercial risk analyst. Hi, Joe. Hi welcome Nick. Um we're back today with our first episode after Easter. Um we're recording at lunchtime on the 16th of April Friday and I think I'm right in saying that we're now over a year old, aren't we Nick? I don't, I'm not sure you signed yeah, up for this a yeah, year ago.
0: over a year old in fact the last one we did pre-Easter was probably the anniversary but we hadn't spotted
1: it. <laughs> Indeed. So here we are a year, a year on and still going strong. So this week um We have got some monthly GDP stats that we'll have a a look at. That covers February. Um, We also want to take a look at the insolvency stats um, for March that were were published. Atrelius has got an interesting um, outlook for 2021. I think it's worth um, having a a run through. Um, And then some other um, kind of company news I think we should pick up on Greensill, obviously what's going on with Virgin um, and perhaps a, a final kind of roundup of, retail in general with the grand reopening that happened on Monday. So let's start with those GDP numbers. And I think we're kind of thoroughly having been very enthusiastic and excited about monthly GDP figures early on in the pandemic. I think we've had a little bit of a dose of reality, haven't we, in terms of what these numbers actually can really tell us about the the, the state of play? I, I
0: think that's right, Joe. I mean, to be honest with you, I, I, I read these numbers and, uh, you know, the, the business media is It is desperate to make a big deal out of what's happening with the economy. And even they struggle to find anything (laughs) particularly interesting in these. I mean, just to quickly touch on the headlines, uh, overall, the economy um was up 0.4% in february which i think was a little bit less than the prediction which i think was 0.65 right but, i think
1: but, none of the but haven't they i think they've revised january figures up slightly so it's a minus 2.2 yes, to 2.4, yes, but just yes, shows you how how fluid these figures f- figures are on on monthly level
0: indeed um, and looking within the 0.4 the service sector which of course is the driver of the economy was up 0.2 construction was up 1.6 and production was up 1%. Um, Overall, the uh, GDP for February is 7.8% below pre-pandemic levels. uh, Services down 8.8%, construction down 4.3%, and production down 3.5%. What what I did find interesting was a a wonderful spat on social media uh, because the ONS came out sort of, vaguely spinning that the Brexit disruption in January had sorted itself out. And that then prompted um, uh, David Frost, or Lord Frost, our chief Brexit negotiator as was, um, to comment that, uh, in fact, uh, the reversal had happened by the end of January and that February, everything was back to normal, which then prompted an almost instantaneous response from uh, David Gork, my former um, MP and uh, um, ex-Lord Chancellor, who simply said, trade with the EU did not return to normal in February 2021. It was 12% down on February 2020, compared to only 1% down for non-EU trade. So take that.
1: And I think it's this point, doesn't it, it comes back to when we discussed quite in detail with Adam um, Stones, my colleague, about it's so important to know what you're comparing to. So I think it's true that the the trade, the the EU trade compared to December, January, whatever uh, metric um, David Frost was looking at was up. But the meaningful comparison, I think we may well come back to this later on in terms of footfall and retail and everything else. It's really important to know what you're comparing to and where, where those um, rises and falls are. Um, yep. Let's turn now to the insolvency um, stats. stats yes. for, okay, for the, I, feel, I feel like we should say here, we, this is one we got right in terms of predicting what would happen yes, in March. Absolutely,
0: we? you were spot on, Joe. Um, there were 992 corporate insolvencies in England and Wales in March, which was 45% up in February.
1: Yeah. but and we know so, and that's and that's following a pattern isn't it so in in december we had quite a big rise compared to the previous month and we said that we thought we'd see the same in march and these are cbl um yes so these, these
0: are company driven um calling of a halt um, mm-hmm actions where the directors, for whatever reason, have decided they don't want to go on. This is not driven by creditor action because, of course, um, you can't wind a company up for all practical purposes. You can't use a winding up petition. Landlords can't enforce. So all those triggers are not yet operating. So um, the CVL figures uh, were up 49% in uh, in March. I mean, we're still 20% down on March 2020 and we're 37% down on March 2020 uh 19, 2019. So 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 I th- sorry, not, not 2019, let's get this right. We're down 37% on March 2019. And that sort of leads us to Atreides, um, because what Atreides is saying in summary, and Joe, I know you're going to talk about a bit more of the detail on a global basis, they're Uh, sort of overview uh, figure was that insolvencies in the UK were down 27% in 2020, Mm -hmm. and they expect them to be up by 56% in 2021, which which is, I have to confess, a number I find difficult to grasp.
1: Yeah, so it's, it's it sounds like a big increase, doesn't it? But it's from a low base, again, going back to this, where are we comparing from? It's And I think that they've got, actually, we'll, we'll share the um, report because it is interesting. They've got quite a, a good um, table at the back of that, which kind of indexes, I think, 2007 as their base point and everything is relative to, um, to mm-hmm. that. And, and so in 2021, their forecast is that um, insolvencies will be higher, but not as high as we saw in the um, financial crisis, 2008, 2009, um, and so on. So I think, I think you're right. I think it, it, it is surprising. But again, we've got to remember that we've got, we're have got we going to get Q2 under our belt before any of the um, provisions in terms of being able to issue a winding up petition and enforcement of rents actually kick in. Steve, we know that we're, we've got a kind of a, an exploding um, bomb coming up, but that's been... A little bit kicked down the, the road hasn't it, in terms of the six months um repayment holidays and interest only holidays so we think that will smooth out um and Australians don't look forward into 2022 and beyond do they i think with that um that forecast so it may be that it's a kind of a high a high level over a longer longer period yes i think
0: i think that's probably right joe um, my Feeling is that uh, there's a bit of a clue in those March figures that we just talked about, that whatever happens with enforcement and with landlords and with the delay in um, in repayment of the loans, the answer is that there are increasing numbers of companies where the directors, either off their own bat or on on advice from experts, are beginning to say, I just wonder whether we really, really ought to go on. I mean, there's no wrongful trading um, mm-hmm. uh, penalty at the moment, um, although a couple of companies have managed to get wound up um, dis- despite that ban, but, and, and wrongful trading was was, uh, was was a factor, I think, in both these both the cases. Um, but I think increasingly what will happen, and I'm beginning to see little hints of it in what I. Get back from feedback from people in the insolvency game, uh, active in the insolvency game, who are getting f- quite busy with advisory work for boards of companies who are just really not sure what happens next. Mm. So I think we'll see where that goes. But as you say, quite interesting stuff on a on a global basis in that trade. Yeah, well. I
1: think it's it's worth just looking and 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 seeing what their kind of state of the nation is, I suppose, in, in terms of global. So they're. Um, they're estimating that global GDP growth will be six percent um in uh, 2021, and that, that comes off the back of a 3.7 percent contraction in 2020. Um, and clearly vaccine rollout is um is quite a strong factor in the in the return to growth. Um, Eurozone again um is looking at an economic recovery in Q2 um for Eurozone GDP to be a 4.2 percent growth in. Um, 2021 although uh, some concern about the vaccine rollouts obviously as is, is we're kind of familiar with um, US strong recovery expecting seven percent growth in um, 2021 and that is a quite quite a staggering three percent increase in their forecast compared to um, September 2020 so clearly they're they're kind of happy with what Biden is doing in terms of the stimulus and, and so on. Um, so I, I think it's it is it is worth a read. There's quite a nice summary web page and then a more detailed PDF report. So we'll share that um with 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 you and um it's worth worth a read I think. Now turning on to um some company news I think last time we recorded we talked about Virgin Active and uh, kind of setting the scene for a little bit of a showdown between landlords just saying, well, you know, you can't, we can't be the collateral damage in these restructurings. So what do we know so far on that, Nick? What's um, a-
0: well, the, this is, this is um, one of the very first of these new restructuring plans that were brought in by the new insolvency legislation last year. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, of course, Virgin, uh, another bit of Virgin was behind the very first one. Oh, really? I Adla- Virgin that. Atlantic was yes. the very first one. Yes,
1: okay. So, this
0: is Virgin Active, the, mm-hmm. um, the, the, gym. the, the gym outfit. <laughs> and um, a number of the landlords, and I think some of them are American owned, so right. they're not just UK landlords here, have dug their toes in, went to court to, um, uh, to uh, see if they could get the restructuring plan killed at birth. Mm -hmm. And what the court ordered was that there should be a creditors meeting today, haven't seen anything yet about what has happened, and that the plan will then come back to court for final approval or otherwise on the 29th of April absolutely remarkable to get a court date quite that <laughs> we moment, didn't double but check but the year it
1: is 2021 the the,
0: the year. Hey, hey um, yes, we have, we're thinking it's like 29th of april 2021 um so what are the
1: possible outcomes here what 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 might we expect you know over the weekend if we do get some news about the the meeting of creditors well
0: I, I i think um you see the the legislation for the very first time in the uk allows in a restructuring plan like this which is a bit like the old-fashioned scheme of arrangements pretty likely used generally and only for really big situations right the, the restructuring plan allows the court to approve the plan despite a vote against it by a class of creditors so it can it, I mean, the technical term is to cram down they can cram mm-hmm. down those creditors and say well i'm really sorry but in the interest of the creditors as a whole we think this court this case this uh, plan should go through and the creditors are therefore stuck with it um now, I'm not sure what the technical arguments of, um, put by the landlords were, but we'll see how the creditors' meetings pan out today, because it'll be a separate meeting for each class.
1: Oh, will there? I see. Yep. Okay. Each
0: class votes so then- separately. I mean, probably all within the context of one meeting. Mm-hmm. But uh, and and then when we hear about that, we then might have a steer about what's going to happen in court in a couple of weeks' time.
1: And presumably, lots of other landlords and and companies will be looking at at yes. this to see. Um, to see what yeah, happens, I suppose. No, Sorry, I'm going to say
0: it, it, this is. It, I don't think you can do a read across from um, overturning a restructuring plan to overturning um, a CVA because right. CVAs are the principal um, vehicle for um, oppressing landlords. have has been for quite some time now. I mean, I, again, here I'm not clear. Why they've gone the restructuring plan route? Um, it may be that they can't get the seventy-five percent majority so that
1: you need for a CVA. You
0: need for a CVA. Mm. I, I haven't looked into the detail, but uh, all of this will emerge once we get the decisions. There'll be lots of comment about it because it's a it's 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 a made, it's a landmark um, mm. uh, court ruling which will affect other restructuring plans.
1: I mean, I suppose I was was going to actually segue a little bit there. Something we're going to come back to later, but it kind of seems to fit here in terms of rent and landlords. Um, Obviously, we had um, information from Landsec this week about their um, collection of the quarter um, rent for for March, Um, and they they apparently collected two thirds um, of the rent that was owed, and that hasn't really moved very much from. You know, from the start of the pandemic to um, to now. So, yeah, I think uh, the, the 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 figure that jumped out of me was retailers and hospitality businesses um, in the portfolio, which is about twelve billion pound portfolio um, in London, paid only two million of the seven million um, that they owed for the recent quarter. Um, Regional was slightly better; they paid five million of the thirty million owed. But I think it just gives you an indication that there are some big arrears, as we know, being built up.
0: Yeah, of of course, it's worth remembering that the British Property Federation uh, announced in December that their estimate was that by the end of June or the June quarter day there would be seven billion pounds worth of rent arrears on commercial property, which sets the whole thing in uh, yeah. in, in 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 context.
1: Indeed. So, should so we, move, we move on, on, on to Greensill? Green yeah. So this is. I think when we when we last recorded, details were starting to emerge. But obviously, things have got a lot murkier um, since then, haven't they? What is there to what more is there to say on um, on this? Well, I think I think
0: you know. Let's park the the lobbying uh, scandal because really, that's not. You know, that is what it is, and and the outcome will be whatever it will, will be. What what I think is is is, uh, is more and more coming out here, and you know you very kindly picked up and and pointed me in the direction of, of um, a blog written by a guy called Peter Smith.
1: Yeah, he's excellent. Um, actually, he he was at the eWorlds. Um, we we attended a conference virtually yeah. a few weeks ago, and I thought he he, he moderated, and he's got an interesting yeah. blog. Again, we'll send the link to to this.
0: Absolutely wonderful. He blogs under the name of bad buying, which I think is a stunning um, uh, piece of uh, uh, of, of self-advertising. It's just wonderful. And um, his latest blog, there's a whole series about this crisis. The latest one actually highlights the problem that what this has done is to sort of lift the lid on the whole topic of fraud in financing and particularly related to factoring and this reverse factoring, Mm. which is supply chain finance. And he quotes in his latest blog uh, an example on the receivables factoring side of um, a Singaporean uh, oil trading company called Him Leong, which has collapsed. There, there were $2.23 billion worth of phony receivables. And there was also um, um, an inventory fraud for you know a, a relatively modest 0.8 billion dollars. So, but then it went on to talk about Carillion, and of course everybody's slightly forgotten in the in the heat of the Greensaw thing that one of the things that undid Carillion was supply chain finance. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it wasn't that it went wrong; it was the fact that it was undisclosed. Mm. And they point out that hidden that the debt hidden in payables. On Carillion rose from 2012 when it was 263 million pounds to when the wheels came off, the last set of accounts before Carillion fell over. It had gone up to 761 million pounds, three-quarters of a billion pounds worth of undisclosed debt. I mean, you could find it if you looked for it, but it's hidden away in the notes. Mm-hmm at the back so
1: you know and again i think we've, we've touched on this before when, when we started to to look in using our search um database of of some of the the keywords and and it just shows you doesn't it that you really do have to to delve deeply and I, of course we know it's not possible to do on every single risk but you know it comes back to segmentation understanding you know key supply might not be the most people that you spend most with but you know those kind of business critical supplies are really like getting under the bonnet um of these you know not just taking into um into account the the financials that you kind of see spread but actually looking into the the notes um, and so on
0: Uh, yeah but i mean this is this is fascinating because you know the the of course you've got a whole range of um the top um investigative journalists in the business world are now gaddling around um here there's a story in the ft today about um problems with one of the Gupta companies uh, where there were allegations, uh, unproven allegations we have to say,
1: which I think he denies, doesn't he? Yeah,
0: uh, which he denies on mm. double pledging, you know that classic thing of using the same collateral with two different funders or more, which okay. caused four banks to allegedly pull out of supporting one of the one of the Gupta companies. Um, as I say, he denies it and no, we'll see where that one goes. But it is just fascinating because the administrator, the Greensill administrators, I think it must be their proposals, have been published. And uh, I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but it's very interesting. What has begun to hit them, social media is that they talk about having uncovered a related party transaction with an entity called Greensill Melons. This so is back to the
1: roots, isn't it? In the, back to the, the very roots the Australian... of
0: the whole Greensill. Melon farm.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we'll keep an eye. I suppose we're, we're, it's interesting and we'll we keep an eye on that. And I suppose there are hopefully some lessons to be learned, things to to look out for in, in future. Um, I'm conscious again um, of, of right. time. I suppose it would be worth um, talking about something that we mentioned, I think, before in the context of the transparency around B bills and C bills um, loans. And, and the press is starting to talk more about the future. Um, the future fund those are um convertible loans that government provided to kind of startups who met certain criteria um and that those those haven't really been made available for reasons of commercial um confidentiality apparently although some of the information is in the public domain obviously because you know that if convert, conversion of, of loan to equity would typically result in some yep. filings in at company's house and so on um and i do think that there is a, a sense that at the moment, we, especially on the BBL Cables side, we have some aggregated stats, so we know certain sectors are worse hit. But you know, I think you are you're kind of plotting, aren't you, with Bill Grimsey to to write another
0: yes, a review, I mean, yeah.
1: and and we kind of want to look at individual risks, don't we? Rather than um, well, that's right, because you
0: know, I've, you know, this this review will look again at um, at the problems on the high street and town centres, and and we'll focus on uh independent retailers and hospitality uh, outlets and of course they are the predominant users of the b bill scheme mm. and you know i can i can put in my section of the of the latest review all sorts of um high flown data about you know this sector has borrowed x billion pounds under the various schemes yeah but the really important thing for everybody listening to this is which companies you know, we've got that data for furlough yeah. use of the furlough scheme. I mean, the data's rough and ready, but we've got that data, but we don't have it. And you
1: know, this is public and money. it's available, and it is available because the British Business Bank are collating the information. Yeah. So the, the lenders are submitting a file into the British Business Bank because the government obviously needs to kind of keep some handle on the yeah. potential liability that they're underwriting. So, yeah. so, I, so
0: it's available, it's public money it's crucial to credit decisions, mm-hmm. and, and for that matter, supply chain uh, deci- decisions, why can't we have it? Yeah. I, and I think, I think it's inevitable that now that, I mean, this is all triggered by an article, a very um, critical article in The Times, um, I think when this sort of uh, roller coaster gets, gets moving, I think eventually the government will cave. And we'll publish the data. And as well, as we're
1: getting as we're getting closer to when the periods and when these these are going to appear on balance sheets, they'll be disclosed in some form. And actually, actually. surely it's better to know. You know, we talked about this last time. It's better to know that it's a, a government-backed loan because the the terms are, are are typically going to be so much kinder to a business than a normal commercial loan. And if you just lump that all into um, into yeah. a debt a debt number on the balance sheet, it's not going to be quite so easy to to unpick. So. I think on that uh, we've, done we've, we've made up. We've, we've talked. We've got two weeks worth of talking. I think we've crammed into one episode. So thank you very much, um, Nick. Has always been a pleasure to um, to speak. Thanks everybody for listening. Until next time. Goodbye.